0: Good morning. Good morning, you guys. I hope you're doing well. Uh, The weather's getting better and uh, things are uh, looking promising. Baseball is getting back in action and so uh, I'm I'm coaching a little bit of middle school baseball right now and um, we're having fun just being outside and uh, watching these kids get out and have a a little fun. Still, COVID is very real. Stay safe. Be smart. Wear your masks. Lots of hand sanitizer. We just got through our series on uh, survival tools, right? Those tools that we need in our kit, and I hope that uh, that we're building those into our life and striving to like grow in them—prayer and faith and stick to itness and and uh, those things that are so important to our life. Courage, right? That we would live lives that are honoring God. Like all the time, not just occasionally, but all the time. Well, today we start a new series. It's called Engaging Jesus. And we're going to talk about engaging Jesus over the next eight weeks. And uh, we could take this a couple of ways. We could take this engaging Jesus. First of all, we could take it how Jesus like engages you and me, right? Jesus came to the earth and he engaged with us, the engaging Jesus. And the second way is that that we engage with him. And that in addition to not only our engagement with Jesus, but that he wants to now engage the world through you and through me. And so we're engaging Jesus. He wants the engagement that Jesus wants to have through you with other people. Well, what we want to do is both. We want to engage Jesus, and we want Jesus to use us to engage in the world. And so we want both. It's a two-way road. Jesus wants to engage the world through you. It's not enough that, that you engage Jesus. That's nice. That's wonderful. It's miraculous. Terrific. All those great words. But if you don't let Jesus engage the world through you, you're only halfway there. You're you're half cooked. You're half done. It's not over. He saved us so that he could save others through us. And and that's what we want to engage Jesus with, that mindset. And some of us, like hearing this today, uh, are are probably those who, who are watching Jesus from a distance. Maybe you know Jesus you go to church occasionally, you you might have a Bible in your house, uh, maybe you read it sometimes and you know who God is, but but really it's kind of the life I lived before I gave my life to Christ. It was this, like on Sunday I went to church and uh, see you there God, and then the rest of the week it's kind of my thing, do what I want, and then on Sunday I'll see you again God. So that's that's following Jesus from a distance. Some of us some of you, lots of people out there in the world, are living their lives like that. Others have engaged Jesus. You have given your life to Christ. You have surrendered your heart to him. You have been obedient and faithful, and you have met Christ in the watery grave of baptism, and you have your sins have been washed away. You've been forgiven. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. And now your mission, your mission from that moment on is to help other people engage with Jesus. That is, that is for us who are followers of Jesus. If you say, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I am a student of the masters. Then your number one priority is to engage the world so that Jesus can engage the world through your hands, and your feet, and your personality, and everything about who you are. As we look into the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life the life of Jesus, what we see is a, a lots of different encounters that Jesus had with people. In different encounters from all over the place, right? At times... Jesus initiates the conversation. Other times, people come up to Jesus and they initiate the conversation. Other times, Jesus is maybe like invited somewhere to a party, to someone's house, and and during that occasion or event, an opportunity arises and Jesus makes the most of that opportunity. At times, Jesus' encounters happen in the workplace, sometimes in people's homes, lots of times just in the community, among the crowds, in the city, along the path, out there in the world. Sometimes Jesus is the one who asks the question, other times people come and ask Jesus a question. All kinds of people were engaged in encounters with Jesus, the needy, The sick, crowds of people, right? Religious people, disciples were always following and listening and learning and growing and asking. The the, the curious and the inquisitive came to talk to Jesus, to ask Jesus questions. Jews, Gentiles, rulers, religious leaders, and you have all encountered Jesus in some way, at some point, at some time. And so this engaging Jesus happens to almost all of us at different times, but in the gospels, we see specific occasions where Jesus talked with people, where he met with people, where he put himself in a place where he could have a conversation with somebody. And there's two things that have to be kind of gleaned from this series. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be talking about this topic of engaging Jesus. Two things have got to be gleaned. Number one is your personal engagement with Jesus. As we think about other people's encounters with Jesus, we have got to think about our own encounter with Jesus. And what does that look like? From the day I gave my life to Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, if you have never given your life to Christ, from from the, the the period of time in your life right now where you're you you know who He is, but you've never taken maybe that next step and said, God, I want to be all in with You, because God wants us to be all in with Him. But but the first thing we've got to glean from this is our own personal engagement wherever we are on the journey with Jesus, and the second thing is 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 Jesus's impact through you, and we're gonna hit this every week, the greatest question you could ever ask somebody else. Now, Now, check this out. The greatest question that you could ever ask another person. You know, there's a lot of great questions that we could ask people. We talk about lots of different things from sports to our family, to our homes, to our jobs. You know, we talk about a lot of things. And then we 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 even talk about God at times. But but what I'm what I would love for us to do over the next 8 weeks, don't do it today, just begin to pray about this, begin to think about this because there is a question in your heart that God is going to stir in you over these weeks that is going to cause you to word this question in such a way that it comes from you and you only. Obviously, the, the the easiest way to ask somebody a question about God is, "Do you know Jesus?" Okay, you could you could go up to people. That's solid. You know, hey, do you know Jesus? Yeah, that's good. That that's not always the best way to word that. What we want to do is put it in a word system that will fit who we are and what we know about this person. We are not trying to push people away because a relationship with God, as you and I know, is a very personal thing. It's very personal. It's really between me and God. And people will tell you that, man, hey, this is it's between me and God. You have no business asking me. Right? And, and, and they're partly right in that. But, you know, your relationship with God is also connected to the body of Christ. And there's a family of believers that God has called us to be a part of. And a fellowship of those who believe and follow Jesus. And so we, have, we share that in common. So your relationship with Jesus is not just about you. It's about me. And it's about us. It's about all who believe. And mine isn't just for me. So, yes, it's personal. But it's also, like, collaborative. It, it, it's part of a fellowship. And so when somebody says to me, you know, this is very personal, like they get offended because I say, hey, do you know Jesus? What that tells me about them is they don't understand the concept of the body of Christ. And so we don't want to say, we don't want to word this question in a way that's just going to automatically offend people. We want to word this question in a way that draws them in, not puts up a barrier. And so... We want to take our time, but there's a question in your heart. Your mind may not know what it is, but it's there. And God is going to bring it to light if you will pursue it. And you will find a question, the question, that will be the question of your heart because what it does is it ties who you are as a person in your walk with God, your experience with the Lord, and it puts it in a very real way that other people can understand your heart. You're not judging them. You're not saying, hey, turn or burn. You're not pushing them into anything. You're simply wanting somebody else, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, to consider their relationship with Jesus. Have they ever engaged with Jesus? Well, today, Today we're in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the Mount with our text, okay? Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're on this uh, we're on this teaching time of Jesus, right? We're in Matthew five, and so what happens is Jesus. You know, his ministry is just beginning, it's the beginning of the Gospels, it's the first year, he's just now uh, claimed that he uh, has come from above, that he came to call people to repent, for the kingdom of God is, has come, and on, in Matthew 5, he's already, you know, he's picked his disciples, he's called them to follow him, now they're walking everywhere he went, they're listening to every word he says, and they're like sponges soaking it in. Like, that's what you and I, that's what you and I should be. Like, and we should never let our, let our heart or our sponge of who we are get hard, or dry out. That's what happens when we walk away or we, we don't continually put the water of life of God into our heart. We start to get crusty and hard, and we get snappy, and we get angry, and we, these other things begin to show. And we know. I know why that's happening in my life. I know why I'm being like that because because I'm not staying in the word. I'm not staying in Jesus. Whenever we do that, things get out of whack. You 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 try to live in this world without God and you're going to have all kinds of problems. You live in this world with God, you're still going to have issues. There's still going to be problems. But you're going to have a strength and a power and a wisdom and an ability to see beyond the issues that you would never have if you weren't walking in Christ, and so Jesus goes up on the mountain, right, and he's teaching all kinds of things, right. He's he's talking about all kinds of things. Just take a look if you got your Bible, Matthew five. It's the Beatitudes. He talks about blessed are those, uh, you know, who are poor in spirit. He talks about being salt and light in the world. We think about that. We think about you know, hey. When you put salt on something, you taste that salt. If you don't put salt on it, it kind of just tastes kind of bland, right? Light gives light to everyone in the room. If you don't have light, you've got people walking into stuff, right? He talks about the law and the fulfillment that he came to fulfill the law. He talks about murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and an eye for an eye and no longer an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but now, you know, love your neighbor, give to them, strike you on the right side, you give them the left side also. Jesus is teaching all these things, and he's teaching all these things to the crowds. There's crowds of people that are gathered. And I could just picture this like mountainside, and Jesus is there, maybe sitting on a rock. It's a sunny day out. And all these people have kind of crowded in, and more are coming, and they're sitting down, some are standing up. There's children, there's adults, there's men, there's women, there's Jews, there's Gentiles, everybody, all kinds of people. And Jesus is just like pouring out truth from above. It's just, it's like this waterfall flowing from God, from the throne of God, into Jesus, through Jesus, his mouth. And he's he's engaging the crowd, is what he's doing. He's speaking to the crowd, and he throws out a question. In chapter 5, verse 28, he throws out this question. And this is the question we're going to deal with today. He says to them, among all these other things, he says, and why do you worry? That's an engaging question. Like, why do you worry? Why do you worry? He's asking us today, why do you worry? And you know, this is not the only time Jesus asks a question in this sermon in these chapters here, in this section, Jesus asked at least nine questions, maybe a few more. If you depends on how you count. Let me just uh, show you a couple of the ones that he asked. Okay, in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? So that's one of the questions she's, if you just love those who love you, big deal. Pagans do that. Evil people can do that. They love the people that love them. That's easy. But if you only love them, big deal, right? He says, what good is that? <laughs> In other words, it's not much good at all. But if you love those who hate you, you love those who persecute you, now you're getting somewhere, right? You're becoming more and more like Jesus. Another question he asked, chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Another question Jesus threw out. Chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck? right? Why do you look at speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why do you do that? And then here, Jesus asks this great question, Why do you worry? Why do you worry? And as you read through the Gospels, Jesus asked over a hundred questions. Jesus asked people, crowds, all kinds of people, over a hundred questions throughout the Gospels that we're aware of. Probably hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of other questions that we don't have recorded. But let me give you a, remind you about a couple of the questions he asked uh, in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, why are you terrified? You can probably recall when he said some of these questions, when he asked these questions. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Tell me, who? You know, Jesus uses questions to, one, get us to think, but to, two, draw us in. Questions. To engage with us you know jesus didn't just come and say do this and do that and do this and god isn't a god who just like pounds on the table and says i command that you do that he's not that way he's a loving god and he he sent his son jesus to come and to be just like us to identify with you and me to engage with us, like he came became, and became one of us so that we could understand and understand that God understands. And now he wants to use us to go out into the world and do the same for other people, to, to not become sinners like that, but, but to engage with people who don't know them, to have the opportunity to share with them that question, that really important question that we have got to ask people, Because nothing else matters. Who your favorite football team is does not matter. You know, it doesn't matter. None of it. No other question matters. The only question that matters is where are you with God? Because in the end, that's all that's going to matter. He said, what do you want me to do for you? To one man. He said, could you not watch with me for one hour? Remember that question Jesus asked? And so Jesus asks lots of questions throughout the Gospels. He asks at least nine questions just in the Sermon on the Mount. And here he says, verse 28, chapter five, why do you worry? That is a very probing question if you think about it. Why do you worry? And we all do this. We all all waste precious time Worrying, overly concerned. Why do you worry? Do you worry because you're just trying to do it yourself? Do you worry because because you don't trust God? Or you're not close enough to the Lord to know that you can trust him? Do you worry because maybe other experiences have taught you that you should worry? Because, because bad things have happened in the past and you, you weren't in tune with what, what God was maybe doing in that and you didn't see what God was up to. And so to you, all that was was a bad experience. You didn't get out of it what God wanted you to get out of it because you weren't even looking for it. So you worry because bad things have happened and bad things will probably happen in the future. They will. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you if you follow Jesus, everything's going to go great. I'm going to tell you right now, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have a target on your back. The devil is not going to be happy with you. People are going to not like the fact that you're a Christian and you think you're self-righteous and you think you're all that with God. And they're going to come after you for that. So it's not going to be easy following Jesus. The apostles were all beat to death, crucified, burned to death, stoned to death, it is not gonna be easy, but it is going to give you all the power, all the strength, all the wisdom and, and, and grace to live in this world and to have eternal life in Christ. And it's the only way that you will ever enter the kingdom of heaven is through Jesus. So this is the only way. Every other way, any other way is not going to get you to heaven and it's not going to give you the strength and the power you need in this life. It's going to tear you up. According to psychology today, people worry for these reasons. Here you go. If I worry, I'll never have a bad surprise, right? Hey, if I just worry about it, I'm overly concerned, I'm thinking about everything and what this and what that, then I won't be surprised because I've kind of thought of everything, right? Some people say they worry because... It's safer. It's safer if I worry. I feel like I'm, you know, a part of uh, what's going on here. I show I care by worrying. You know, if I'm worrying with you, then, then you know I care so much about what's going on for you. Worrying motivates me. Psychology Today said, people said, worrying, when I worry, it motivates me. Others said, worrying helps me solve problems. It helps me solve problems. What what is worry? What is worry? We all could probably come up with a quick answer to worry. The English, uh, by, uh, the English uh, dictionary says this: worry is to give way to anxiety. That's a key word in the the idea of worry. Anxiety, or to be uh, at unrest or uneasy about something. To allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles, to let yourself be sucked into the difficulty or the trouble, and then your emotions are stirred. You focus on the bad things in life, and that produces worry. According to uh, the Bible dictionary, Vine's Bible dictionary, worry is anxiety very similar to what we all know worry to be uh uh, to be distracted right the word the word in the in the greek is the word care the cares of this world the worries of the world to be focused on the things that we see the physical stuff so biblical definition of worry takes it to another level it's not just this surface concern and worry anxiety that I'm uptight because something isn't happening right it's deeper than that it's a focus issue and 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 it says in the the Greek means it means to have a distracting care like you you have a concern about something and it's now, pulling you away from what you should be thinking about. To take thought in the wrong thing. To allow physical things of this world to overshadow to overshadow the spiritual and the eternal. See, biblical worry happens when we get caught up in the world and the things of the world. And Jesus says to this crowd of people, as he's engaging them in teachings about the kingdom of God, he is is giving them treasures from heaven that directly apply to their everyday life on earth in the flesh. As we live in this flesh, Jesus is giving us these huge, big nuggets of truth he says, why do you worry? And he includes in this issue of worry, very practical, everyday foundational things, your body, your clothing, what you eat and drink, your food and your water. He includes in this, in this passage, we're going to dig into this in a second, your value. Why do you question your value? When you worry, you are questioning your value. You're going to see that in a minute. And your very life. He says you are questioning your very existence and God's creative ability and power to make you in his image. And you are questioning that when you worry. See, these are not small things. These are like everyday things survival, life and death things, your food and your clothing, your shelter, your house, your your value, your, your life. And he says, and he says, Jesus says to the crowds, as he's talking about all this stuff, and he says to you and I today, why do you worry about these things? And it's almost as if he's saying to us, You should not be worrying about these things. There are other things that you should be more concerned about. Instead, you are worrying about small things. And yet they're big to us. And so now he says this, why do you worry about these things? And so now the crowd, I can only imagine, is scratching their head. They're... They they're engaged with Jesus, they're like looking at Jesus, they're like listening to Jesus. He's talking about awesome things. He, they're, they're like, whoa, oh, look at that. I've never heard this. We've never heard this stuff before. And now he says, Why do you worry about stuff? And they're like, because, because I think in their minds, that's all they've ever worried about. Like they, you know, they're very simple people. They don't have, they don't have what we have in our culture. Okay. They lived on the hillside. They lived in, in little homes, little huts, little, you know, just barely thrown together things. The technology was not like it is today. You know, engineering and construction jobs and, and you know, contractors and all the stuff that we have to build these beautiful buildings these days. They didn't have all that. They were living very simple lives. There wasn't a whole lot for them to go do. You know, there just wasn't much. It's Very simple. So they're scratching their head and they're thinking... You know, for the most part, all we've ever thought about was where are we are going to get our next food? Where are we going to get our next meal? How am I going to make money today to buy some bread and some rice or some? Or go down to the well and get some water? You know, that's all they've thought about. And now Jesus is saying to them, guys, the only thing you're thinking about, worrying about, concerned about, why are you doing that? Why are you concerned about these things? And what he's saying to them is that your care is for worldly things, but I'm telling you, you should care more about eternal things. What you're doing, Jesus is saying, what you're doing is worrying about the lesser, and you're not concerned at all, for the most part about the greater things. And this is the problem right here. Their eyes are on the world, the physical, the things of this world, the lesser. But in their minds, these are big things. These are the greater. And Jesus is saying, you got to reverse that. you got to get in your mind and realize that there is an eternal life. There is a spiritual realm where everything is much more important than the physical realm. And what we've done is we've allowed the devil to get our eyes and our mind on the physical and treat the the spiritual like it's nothing, like it doesn't exist, like it's lesser. And Jesus is trying to say, look, get your eyes on the more important. And then Jesus is going to, you know, march through this passage, you know, and he's going to give them like some things. Each verse is almost something new that is going to ease their worry. And, and as I go through this real quick, I hope this will ease your worry as well. Number one, first thing Jesus says, verse 25, look what he says, your life is more important than food and clothing. See verse 25? Your life is far more important than your threads, and your food, and the stuff that we think are necessities of the earth. They are. We know they are physically. We know they are. But we are, we are sucked into them too much. And Jesus is trying to say, look guys, your life is far more important than these things. These, this bread, this money, this drink, your life is eternal. And these things are not only temporary in and of themselves, but they are only necessities for for a physical temporary existence. There's something far greater that you should be more concerned about. Second thing he says, verse 26, look what he says. God cares for the animals. Aren't you worth more than the animals? You see that? You know, in our world, we've got all kinds of causes, and I'm not trying to dog animals <laughs> or cat them either, but, you know, animals are just, they're animals. They were put on the planet for us, for us, and everyone's got a cause. You know, the, 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 this insect, it's going extinct, and we've got to save that instant, instant, insect, Or we got to protect this species or that species. As if we know, in all of the creation, how they even fit into the order of everything. We have no clue. Look, God has been taking care of the animals since the beginning of time. I think God can take care of them today. God's been doing a very good job of that. And if they go extinct, maybe there's a reason they should. And we shouldn't stop that from happening. I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't know, and either do do we. But yet we pump billions of dollars into research about stuff that God has been taking care of since before we were ever, like, here. Before America was America. God takes care of the animals. Don't you think you're worth more than them? You are the top of the food chain. They are way below us. They're here for our enjoyment. They're here for us to eat. They're here for us to to use. They are here for us. We are not here for them. Should we take care of them? Yes. Should we be good stewards of the creation and the animals? Yes. But if God cares for the animals, you know, I I don't sit around and wonder, you know, I wonder if the birds are okay today. You know, do you do that? You kind of wonder, you know, I wonder if the deer, you know, the only time we worry about deer is if they're tearing up our yard. If you live in a town where they built homes, now there's deer that are all over the place. and Now they're chewing up your bushes and stuff. People are concerned about the deer then. Or if they run out in front of you while you're driving down the highway. And remember, it was their land before it was your land. So We got to keep that in mind but that's the only time we think about the deer right we don't sit here and wonder i wonder if the deer are okay today you know you might put bird seed out once in a while during the winter to you know help the birds out but but they're gonna find food with or without you they've been doing it for hundreds and thousands of years they don't really need us to intercede for them as much as we think we're so important they're so important we want to do all these things god says look the animals i take care of them look Open your eyes. I care for the animals. Don't you think I'm going to care for you? You are made in my image. They are not. Third thing he says, verse 27, worry, worry will not add a single hour, a single minute to your life. In fact, what I would say to us today, and you know this, it will take away from your life. Worry, anxiety, Blood pressure, stress, the more you worry, the more minutes are coming off of your life. You're not adding anything to your life. You're only taking away your life. And so by worrying, you aren't gonna help you or anyone around you because now you're worried, now your kids see you're worried, people see you're worried, you're panicking, you're frantic, and guess what? That does no good, does no good for anybody. I do not wanna be around people who are like that in the midst of a trying time, do you? I wanna be around people whose faith is so real that they see the issue, they're realistic people, fair people, they understand there's an issue here, it's a problem, I get it, but they see the bigger picture too. I don't want to be around people who get sucked into the problem and they don't see anything but the problem and all they do is panic and worry and cause everyone else to panic and worry. You don't want to be around that. I don't want to be that person. Right? I don't want to be that person. In 1996, it began. A panic. It started real slow and real quiet and kind of behind the scenes. But by December... 1999, it was a raging, furious fire. The worldwide panic and hysteria, right? Y2K, right? The year 2000 was about to come. We were just like minutes away, seconds away one one little as we got closer one little tick of the clock and we would go from 1999 to the year 2000 and everyone thought that that all chaos was going to break out at the strike of midnight people feared the worst they thought All of the technology would crash. They thought power plants would shut down. They thought the electric grid would shut off. Planes would begin to fall out of the sky. And the result would possibly be other countries not knowing what's going on and a nuclear war beginning. And everybody was concerned about this. Some far more than others. Many people built bunkers and gathered food Right? And they bunkered in for the moment. And then that clock ticked. And the new millennium chimed in. And people held their breath. Billions and billions of dollars were spent to brace the world for the moment. Someone said, do you have your supply of food and water batteries and flashlight. And another person said, do you have your toilet paper? And the clock ticked that one more tick. And we left 1999 and went into the year 2000. And when everyone was holding their breath, very little happened. Some things did happen. There were some issues with our technology because of the year 2000. But for the most part, nothing happened. The world about expected the the atomic bomb to go off and it was more like a firecracker snapping. But panic and worry and stress for years leading up to that moment suicides, people taking their lives over the stress and the depression that it caused, people changing their lifestyles, preparing like it was the end of the world. And we didn't know. We didn't know. But it turned out to be nothing. Turned out to be nothing at all. And Jesus says, why? Why do you worry? It will not add a single hour to your life. Number four, verse 30, he says, If God cares, now this is Jesus. He's talking to the crowd, and he's already asked the question, Why do you worry? And now he's going through all these things about why you don't need to worry. And he says, If God cares for the grass, he will care for you too. Look, like, look around. You see the fields? Look at those beautiful fields. Driving down the highway, see this beautiful field of wild purple flowers and wild yellow flowers or wild whatever flowers. And they're just out there. God did it. No one else did it. And he says, look at those lilies of the field. Look at the grass of the, of the earth. If God knows how to grow grass, the good kind, and if God, if God knows how to take care of the flowers of the fields, don't you think he can also take care of you? Come on. He cares for the grass. You're worth far more than the grass. He's not going to let you go. He's, he's aware. Here we go. Number five. It's really, about, it's really about faith. You know, it's really about our faith. It's about our faith in him. Oh, you, he says, of little faith. If you're worrying, it's because your faith is tiny. If your faith is big, your worry is small. So I say to all of us, let us grow. Let's grow in our faith, grow in our trust, go in our relationship with God, keep engaging with Jesus. The more you grow with Jesus, the less you worry about the stuff of the planet. Verse number six, the pagans, the sinful people, the people who don't believe in God, they run after all this stuff. They are concerned about these things. You should not, you know God. He's in your life. You've seen the evidence of God in the creation of the world. You've seen the evidence of God in your own life. You've seen the evidence of God in his son Jesus who came and lived on this earth and did miracles, fulfilled every prophecy, died on a cross, rose from the dead, Went back up to heaven. is coming again. You know, all those powerful truths. Pagans run after the worry worry things. You and I, we ought to know better. And your heavenly father, he knows that you need these things. He already knows this. He's not unaware. He created us. He knows what we need to exist. Number seven, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Right? His righteousness. You seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will fall into place for you. Everything else will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom. If you don't seek first the kingdom, you're telling God, I'm going to do this on my own because I don't trust you. And I'm telling you, you seek the kingdom of God first and God will take care of everything else. But if you go trying to take care of everything else, God's going to let you go. He's going to say, fine, go ahead, do it your way. See what happens. And you're going to struggle. You might have moments of good times. You might have moments of success along the way. But in the end, deep in your heart, you are going to be an empty, lonely, hurting person because you don't have the creator working and living and giving you the peace that you need on the planet and the hope of eternal life. Each day, he says, every day has enough worry of its own. So get your eyes on God. He knows what you need. He'll take care of it. When it comes to worry, when it comes to worry, don't. 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 Just just stop yourself. When you find yourself getting stressed or full of anxiety or full of worry or concern, you start thinking about things that aren't going well or problems or whatever situations, people. You find yourself getting anxious, stop. Deep breath, eyes on God. God knows what you need, man. Let God have his way in your life. What it's doing when you worry is it's revealing your faith. It's telling you that your faith is not as strong and big as you you think it is. If you're worrying, you're not being faithful. Let go of worry, grab onto faith, and let God do what he can do in your life. It's that spiritual alarm. What worry is, is a spiritual alarm going off in your heart, in your mind, and it's saying this to you. When you start to worry, what that is is an alarm going off saying, stop worrying, trust God. Trust God and just say that out loud. Man, I just need to trust God. I'm just gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna see what God will do. And you just give it to God and start telling yourself, God, God help me with this. God, your will be done in this. God help me not worry. God help me to move forward. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Help me, God, to see a bigger picture. Help me to see what you're doing in this. But don't keep worrying. Engaging Jesus, engaging Jesus means two things. It means, number one, personally, personally, you continue to engage with Jesus in your life. You engage, read the word, spend time in the word, spend time praying to God, seeking God, asking God to help you live out his will and purpose for your life. You keep engaging Jesus personally. But number two, it means then, God, how can you use me in this world? God, how can you use me, my engagement with you to to engage other people? God, how can you let that flow go through me? You're engaging me, and now you want to engage the world through me. God, how can I be a part of that? What is the, the greatest question you could ever ask somebody else that will not offend them, but will help them to consider engaging Jesus. Guys, you have a great week. Don't sweat the stuff of the world. Be more concerned about the things that are spiritual and eternal. And may God move in your life and give you a strength that the world would see and want that in their life too. God bless you guys. Have a great, great week.